Chapter Thirty One of Survivors of the Chancellor by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. First day on the raft, December seventh. Continued. Our first day on the raft has passed without any special incident. At eight o'clock in the morning, Curtis asked our attention for a moment. My friends, he said, listen to me. Here on this raft, just as when we were on board the Chancellor, I consider myself your captain. And as your captain, I expect that all of you will strictly obey my orders. Let me beg of you, one and all, to think solely of our common welfare. Let us work with one heart and with one soul, and may heaven protect us. After delivering these few words with an emotion that evidenced their earnestness, the captain consulted his compass and found that the freshening breeze was blowing from the north. This was fortunate for us, and no time was to be lost in taking advantage of it to speed us on our dubious way. Dallas was occupied in fixing the mast into the socket that had already been prepared for its reception, and in order to support it more firmly he placed spurs of wood, forming arched buttresses on either side. While he was thus employed, the boatswain and the other seamen were stretching the large royal sail on the yard that had been reserved for that purpose. By half-past nine the mast was hoisted, and held firmly in its place by some shrouds attached securely to the sides of the raft. Then the sail was run up and trimmed to the wind, and the raft began to make a perceptible progress under the brisk breeze. As soon as we had once started, the carpenter set to work to contrive some sort of rudder that would enable us to maintain our desired direction. Curtis and Falston assisted him with some serviceable suggestions, and in a couple hours' time he had made and fixed to the back of the raft a kind of paddle, very similar to those used by the Malays. At noon, after the necessary preliminary observations, Curtis took the altitude of the sun. The result gave latitude 15 degrees 7 minutes north, by longitude 49 degrees 35 minutes west as our position, which, upon consulting the chart, proved to be 650 miles northeast of the coast of Paramaribo in Dutch Guiana. Now, even under the most favorable circumstances, with trade winds and weather always in our favor, we cannot by any chance hope to make more than 10 or 12 miles a day, so that the voyage cannot possibly be performed under a period of two months. To be sure, there is the hope to be indulged that we may fall in with the passing vessel, but as the part of the Atlantic into which we have been driven is intermediate between the tracks of the French and English transatlantic steamers, either from the Antilles or the Brazils, we cannot reckon at all upon a contingency happening in our favor. While if a calm should set in, or worse still, if the wind were to blow from the east, not only two months, but twice, nay, three times that length of time will be required to accomplish the passage. At best, however, our provisions, even though used with the greatest care, will barely last three months. Curtis has called us into consultation, and as the working of the raft does not require such labor as to exhaust our physical strength, all have agreed to submit to a regimen which, although it will suffice to keep us alive, will certainly not fully satisfy the cravings of hunger and thirst. As far as we can estimate, we have somewhere about 500 pounds of meat and about that same quantity of biscuit. To make this last for three months, we ought not to consume very much more than five pounds a day of each, which, when divided amongst eighteen people, will make the daily ration five ounces of meat and five ounces of biscuit for each person. Of water, we have certainly not more than two hundred gallons, and by reducing each person's allowance to a pint a day, we hope to eke out that, too, over the space of three months. It is arranged that the food shall be distributed under the boatswain's superintendence every morning at ten o'clock. Each person will then receive his allowance of meat and biscuit, which may be eaten when and how he pleases. The water will be given out twice a day, 
at ten in the morning and six in the evening but as the only drinking vessels in our possession are the tea kettle and the old irishman's tin pot the water has to be consumed immediately on distribution as for the brandy of which there are only five gallons it will be doled out with the strictest limitation and no one will be allowed to touch it except with the captain's express permission i should not forget that there are two sources from which we may hope to increase our store first any rain that may fall will add to our supply of water and two empty barrels have been placed ready to receive it secondly we hope to do something in the way of fishing and the sailors have already begun to prepare some lines all have mutually agreed to abide by the rules that have been laid down for all are fully aware that by nothing but the most precise regimen can we hope to avert the horrors of famine and forewarned by the fate of many who in similar circumstances have miserably perished we are determined to do all that prudence can suggest for husbanding our stores End of chapter thirty one